we are excited to have with us here in the studio and on the line uh, folks that were involved in the startup process of the undercover billionaire. And uh, from my right to left, Maggie Horn. She's the director of the Gannon University Small Business Development Center. Welcome, Maggie. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. And we have RJ Messenger. He's the co-owner of Iron Empire Clothing and, again, one of the, the key uh, starters of the well, what do we call this? Do we do we call it the barbecue? Do we call it the undercover billionaire? Is it all of the above? Uh, all of the above. Um, <laughs> Glen Stern Enterprises. Yeah. Um, That's anything. Whatever people want to call it, I let them say it. And and on the line we have with us Matt Sanders, who's also involved with uh, the undercover billionaire. How you doing, Matt? Great. Thanks for having me on. All righty. So. Uh, let, let's get some stories here. Uh, yeah, Maggie, you start. Did you grow up here? Or did you? Were you a transplant? No, actually. Well, I actually live seventy-five miles south of Erie. I live in Mercer County. Okay, you commute even I now. Okay, commute. yep, I commute every day up to Erie. I'm from the Youngstown area originally, so I'm not too far away from home. Um, but yeah, I'm as my position of director at the SBDC, we're main office here is in Erie, so I commute every day to come up to our community. Now, SBDC is a federal program, is that correct? It is. It's a national, actually international program for small business development centers, and we have offices all around the United States and Guatemala. And yeah. yeah, and it's a great program for entrepreneurs and small businesses that might need some help uh, at the start or even during the lifetime of their business. We'll unpack that in a little bit. RJ, mm-hmm. are you an Erie guy or not? Or Born and raised. <laughs> what high school did you go to? Uh, Mercier's Prep. Oh, did, okay. I think I did know that. Yeah, we're we're both Lakers, but Lakers. you're much younger than I am. So Maybe a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, what got you into – well, I, I know that – again, I know your bio from the television uh, show. Yep. What got you into the, the clothing uh, world? I kind of fell into it. Um I was working full time for the city and, uh, you know, my ex-wife, Jamie and I, we said, you know, what do we do now? You know, we just got married, everything else. I said, I want to start a hobby. Let's do clothing. Let's come up with a design, couple names, you know, see what we come up with. And that's how Iron Empire started. And I think within our first year, we were in our first retail store, kind of took off. You know, we were flipping, you know, three hundred dollars and a six hundred and a twelve hundred right out of our house. Wow. Yeah, you know, started the, point, the house. Yeah, yeah, to the point where our neighbors across the street admitted that they they thought we were drug dealers. <laughs> the amount of traffic we had coming to the house, we just we just moved into that neighborhood. So, so um, it's just t-shirts. It's really t-shirts. Yeah, we swear. <laughs> wow. And so, and so now, how long has it been since the the clothing? Uh, uh, company has been up and running. Started that early 2015 out of the house. So, so we're not even years, five, five years, years almost. Yet. Yeah. Gosh. Getting there. Incredible. Matt, how about you? Are you a, an Erie born and bred or are you a transplant? No, actually, I was born in Idaho, grew up in California, lived in Buffalo for 20 years, and then I've called Erie my home for the last eight. And I have to say that Erie's definitely, uh, of all those spots, actually my favorite. How did you get to Erie eight years ago? So actually, Erie Insurance was looking for a crisis manager and somebody to work in business continuity. They were starting a new area and picked me out of the crowd and and uh, brought me down and and that's where I how I fell in love with the place. Sounds like you're you've got some uh, communications in your background, or am I accurate on that? Yeah, so there's a little bit of um, 
I've done a lot of emergency management stuff, and so you've always got to be ready to talk to the media, the press, anybody around, and you want to always make sure that that you're getting the right message across because people, especially when they're panicked, uh, only hear what they want to hear. So uh, you got to use short sentences and small words and, and be as comforting as possible, let everybody know it's going to be okay. But, yeah, it's really interesting. I never really thought of that, that the – the concept of being an emergency manager really has to have high-end communication skills and public relations. Absolutely. I'm actually in Dallas right now at Team Rubicon supporting operations uh, for Hurricane Dorian in the, in the Bahamas. And the, the simplest way to, to look at emergency management of any kind is just make sure your people that are forward get what they need, but that you know how to talk to the people above you so that they either, one, continue to give you the stuff you need or are uh, you're answering the questions that they actually have. Those two things aren't always uh, uh, on the same page. All righty. We'll get back to you, Matt, because I want to I, I want to see how we thread the needle from emergency management and public <laughs> relations to, uh, you know, to brisket. So. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Right. All right. So. So, Maggie, uh, before we jump into the undercover part of things, I mean, you've been you've been at this at this work for quite a while. And a friend of ours, Jeff Parnell, preceded you, um, uh, you know, talk about the SBDC and what. Uh, you know, what it tries to accomplish on a day-to-day basis. Really anything that a, an entrepreneur or a small business might need, we either can help them to do it in-house with my consultants and the other resources we have, or we connect them with the right resources. So we'd be at financing and they need some projections. They need to even understand what options they have. We help them through that. Strategic planning, marketing planning, um, you know, valuations to a point. We don't do, you know, the. You're not the doing major. a full. Um, no, I did that in my other life before business, I uh, came to the SBDC. Um, but, you know, it's as simple as from the very beginning, a small home space business looking to launch into their first retail front, very much like what RJ did. Um, we can help with that, uh, put business plan, uh, get them in the right direction to get the funding necessary to, to do that. Um, so logos, websites, you know, any of the any of the resources, anything you can think of that is attributable, attributed to starting a business or running a business, those are the things that we do on a day-to-day basis. Now, uh, and we've talked a, a lot at these microphones about the the entrepreneurial ecosystem. And again, the SBDC is a big part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, there, you know, is there is there a minimum that needs to be coalesced before they come see you? Uh, you know, we talk about the Idea Lab is where you can kind of fiddle around with maybe, you know, Adobe uh, Creative Suite and, mm-hmm. you know, mess around with a logo or mess around with, uh, you know, a 3D printer. And I don't mean to say mess around, but right. to like come up with some concept concepts and things. Absolutely. When is it appropriate to say, yeah, I better give Maggie a call? It really is when you have a better idea of where you're going. So if you have two or three ideas and you're not sure exactly which way you're going, you want to do some research. And that's where we will get you to the beehive or you want to use some of the initiatives like the Idea Lab just to do some of that initial thought. um, So the beehive would maybe be a little bit before you then. Correct. Wow. Yeah. And then so having some, uh, an outline of a business plan, you know, what kind of business you want to run, where you want to run it, and have an idea of what kind of um, situation you might be in to finance the business and then we can really pull a very comprehensive plan together with you make it uh, 
available for presentation to your lenders so that um, they're confident and comfortable with lending you money. Uh, and then we can go from there. Do, do you, is it your position or, and is, is this how is one of the ways that you add value to kind of like help people say, you know what, that may there may not be a business there. Yes. And actually, I and I don't want to be negative right off the top. But no. gosh, you have to have a reality check at some point, right? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. About 50 percent of the people that come to us in that stage um, will never go into business. And we consider that just as much of a success as we do when we go and do a ribbon cutting, because you can lose everything you own if you do not plan properly. You go to the wrong market. You don't know your customer, your real customer, who they really are. Oftentimes people think these are the people we're going to serve. This is who our customer is. And reality is that's not. And so you're focusing so much in the wrong area. And so we definitely look at those decisions as to not go into business just as successful as opening those doors. There's a lot of, RJ Chapman, there's a lot of if you build it, they will come kind Mm -hmm. of thinking, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, if 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 you 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 purposely yep. scaled the the t-shirt business so that your risk levels were manageable. Yeah. So I mean, I you know I I talk to I go to schools all the time, talk to seventh graders, and I and I tell them I say follow your dreams. If your mom and dad tell you don't, still follow your dreams. <laughs> right. But yes, there there comes a time point in time where you need to know whether you know you can do that or not. Is it feasibly feasibly possible. Mm-hmm. Does it make sense? Does it financially make sense? You know, me personally, I I jumped from working full time for the city and giving that up to take on Iron Empire full time probably a bit too soon. Uh and I learned that after I did that. Um, you know, there's all the little things that I didn't think about. And and I was like, oh, I didn't think about that last month. Oh, I didn't think about that six months ago when I decided to do this. Yeah. And and that made things ten times more difficult for us. Uh, to to get to where we are today, so you know there does come a point in time where you know you can follow your dreams and do what you want to do, but you know there is you know that reality check that you're going to receive at some point, yeah. and with them it's it's with them it's sooner than later, you know. Luckily, mm-hmm. so uh, when we get back here, I want to talk about capital because I think that's one of the biggest thing that trips people up. We're talking to Maggie Horn, RJ Messenger, and Matt Sanders here as we talk about this kind of the startup process that the undercover billionaire went under. I I, I know I'm, I'm making him sound like a superhero. It's Glenn Stearns. But <laughs> maybe that is accurate, right? Here, you're listening to the Joel Natale program. I want to ask about I want to ask about capital, because I think, um, you know, uh, you know, before there was kind of this awareness of the ecosystem, the uh, entrepreneurial ecosystem, uh, a lot of folks kind of jumped in undercapitalized and they're starting these businesses. Right. And um, and it, it the, the ones that I've seen more successful are that there's kind of a money engine on the side. So whether that is a spouse that has a, a strong business so that they can fund the I, I, I want to be kind, but, you know, fund the idea, I mm-hmm. should say. Yes. Right. Fund the idea. I uh, maybe sometimes uh, I remember one of my clients, you know, um, 
they had no desire to even break even. They were just or they or just breaking even was all that they needed to do is to pay the rent and pay the cost of materials. They didn't care about pulling a salary or whatever. Yeah. Talk about if you uh, watch the show. Yeah, go ahead, Matt. Do, we're doing that the entire time, right? Mm-hmm. Glenn was doing that the entire time. He starts out with what do I need for the next six months? So he was trying to think about, you know, how do I alleviate the pressure of paying bills for the next six months? What's mm-hmm. that number? And then, you know, it's not where we ended up that got him that money. He was flipping cars, flipping houses and, and other things to, to make that money working for RJ. Um, and so it was that sideline business to get the funding he needed to actually do these things. So your point is is really right on. Yeah. So, so I mean, when you're looking at an ev- – not evaluation, but when you're helping people with that reality check, Meg, what, is that part of the deal? Oh, absolutely. I mean, they – Truly, I say sometimes to people, not everyone, but I will say at times, how much are you willing to lose? Because there's no guarantee of your success. And so when you are looking at the cost of what it is going to take to launch your business, get your business going, you have to have all of those thoughts in your head. Not only what's going to get me like Glenn did with the 90 days, he was at the night, you know, the 90 days, I just have to live somewhere for 90 days. So I need this much money. We deal with people like that all the time. We yeah. deal with people who have quit their job or they're planning to leave their job in six weeks. So with the six-week period until that business opens, what are we going to do? And it's not always – a lot of people are not willing and don't want to take debt on. But honestly, that actually is – Pretty much the only way you're going to be able to launch a company unless you have a very wealthy person who's willing to give you the money to do that. Or you're like you said, you have a spouse who is willing to fund your you know, piece. Yeah, the construction company's over here. So I'm going to build the retail shop over there. Exactly. Um, But capital is variety of ways. You, You can do a line of credit. You can get a straight up term loan. You can work out a deal with suppliers, you know, so there are so many ways that you can get that capital, but you have to know what that is. You have to have an estimate because you're going right into already a very risky thing. Any business start is yeah. risky, but where, how far are you going to go? Because if you haven't thought through, and I'm sure RJ went through some of those times when it's like, all right, where am I going to make the next? I got to, you know, pay my vendors. I have to do this. When's my next paycheck come? You know, when's that receivable going to get here? When is my customer going to be customer going to be paying me? You have to be able to get through those times. Um, and Maggie, do you have a do you have a formula for how much extra over? I mean, I'm sure you yes. see business plans all all the time, and people have figured out their you know, I need this X amount of startup capital, but there's always those unknowns or those gotchas that you didn't plan for. Do you have a, do you have a, like a formula that says you need 10% more than what you think it is or anything along those lines that would help somebody starting out? Yeah, we actually say when we come up with and know what it will cost you to run the business, what your expenses are for one month, you need three to six months in your um, savings to be able to cover because you never know what will happen. And we've seen it. You know, I had a florist I was working with and two weeks before they opened their business, but the building burned down. Oh, my goodness. And so if they had but their bills were still coming in, so they still had to pay their bills. So you need a minimum three months of expenses so that if you make not one dollar out of your business, your bills are paid. Right. RJ, I want to ask you about, you know, when you were gearing up for your first big 
presentation. You went to the Arnold uh, mm-hmm. Classic in, in Columbus. Did you just rack up your credit cards, or did you have enough cash flow at the time to buy your your um, your raw materials going into that sale? Uh, so to be honest, um, we actually did exactly opposite of what she's talking about. One hundred percent. And I am telling you, if you're listening, don't take don't, that route. Don't take this route. <laughs> I can't guarantee you'll get to where we are right now. Um, no loans, no lines of credit, no savings bootstrapped the entire time uh put off personal bills a lot wow um and you know going into the arnold we we gambled you know i was outsourcing my inventory at that time and i said hey listen you know give me net terms on this i'll give you half now and fingers crossed wow. we make it when we go down there if we don't we come back and guess what i'm what gonna a get great a part-time vendor. job for a little bit you had a great um, vendor that you were working with yeah, obviously yep yep we worked well together and uh you know, for events like that, that's what we did. And luckily for us, we were able to knock it out of the park and, and come back and make sure everything was paid. Um, you know, but again, you know, when that was one of the big things when, when you know, Jamie's no longer in the business. You know, I right. am the owner, but, you know, I, I don't act like she wasn't there because she was a big part of it. And we still get along great. Um, but both of us had almost quit our full-time jobs at the same time to oh do this. My. And so when you want to talk about risky and when I say, you know. There wasn't thousands of dollars in savings. There wasn't thousands of dollars in a business account. We said, we're all in. Like, let's just go. Let's just see what happens. That's and, incredible. And literally grew it from there. Um, even up until last year, you know, we did um, Rona Shore. And and I don't want to get into it too much. But yeah. um, we had to take out a very, very expensive loan to do that event. Because we didn't have credit. And we didn't get, we couldn't get help from banks or finance, mm, you know, wow. anyone like that. Um, and that almost crippled their business by doing oh that. Uh, so, I mean, even years later, you know, if you don't do it the right way, it's, it's a struggle to get back up to, you know, you get on your feet and, and keep going. And Matt, uh, anything do you want to weigh in on this? We've got about a minute left before the news break. Uh, I would say that the other thing that RJ had going for him is that I know that he hits the streets every single day mm-hmm. and, you know, makes that money money appear by talking to people, getting the getting the product out there, and he's got something that's that's pretty marketable too. I tell you what, mm-hmm. it was it was pretty good video and and pretty impressive business practice when you're out there with the green sweatshirts. <laughs> you know, people needed sweatshirts. Yep. It was it was uh, it goes right to I think what what Glenn says is one of his prime. Uh, uh, sales uh, philosophies is, you know, meet the buyer. Where, right. What does the buyer want? Yep. Yeah. That's right. And you're going to have successes without some of the planning that we would recommend, like sure. RJ has, you know, um, been able to do. But that's more but about that, his character. Exactly. And that's what entrepreneurs, it, not everyone is an entrepreneur. And that's okay. Because nobody is, you're, I mean, it is, you can't take the risks. Right. Everyone can't do what RJ did and sleep at night. And that's what's the difference between an entrepreneur and someone who wants to start a business. They may not have that um, personality that's really going to be able to get you through that because it's not easy to not to know that you're not going to be able to pay your bills. Maggie and RJ and, and Matt, I'd like to kind of maybe go through some of the the process that uh, Glenn Bryant uh, went through 
uh, insofar as – and I think the, and the point is well taken of like having some capital to live on so you can build your dream. But you know some of the process that would be transferable to your average person. And so um, first off, did Glenn have a real clue of what he wanted to do? He had an idea. I had several thoughts of where he'd like to go. So he didn't come in completely clueless as to what he wanted to do. He had some affinity for certain things and craft beer being one of them. Um, yeah. That was, you know, certainly um, already seen, you know, if you're watching the show, you've seen that. Um but he didn't have, he hadn't done the, re- well, at least he told me he didn't. I don't know. Maybe he did. You yeah. know? But he hadn't done the research behind it, which is where organizations like the SBDC or other people that have been through uh, that particular kind of industry or entered into that industry can be helpful. Um, so is it important to have at least an idea? Yes. And it's also important to be okay that if it isn't, isn't what you thought it would be, to change your mind. To kind of pivot. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, you you guys are able to provide some um, a market research mm-hmm. that said, "Hey, we see that there's a hole. This is this is a growing yep. and, and and just the idea of craft beer, which again, uh, Erie, growing up in Erie, right? Quarter quarter uh, drafts." At, at a place like uh, Oliver's or the Plymouth, mm-hmm. you know, now we're talking about $7 craft brews at yeah. the, you know, w- what a difference, right, from yep. coming up, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a growing industry, yeah. and that's, you know, part of what they did. Um, you know, there was a whole lot more to that conversation sure. than what you saw. Um, but really what it is is that is an industry that can still take some more uh there's more capacity there's more capacity um and the barbecue itself there aren't very many barbecues in the region let alone here in erie Mm -hmm. yeah this is not southern this is not tennessee or memphis you know there's a wide open space there yeah so i you know it's like what is it that you're thinking about doing and how do you bring those two things together and that's really where you know these guys came in where matt and rj came in because after we and we still worked with him periodically yeah. throughout the time as you know um they were developing everything but that is taking those concepts and say okay this is what i have to do to make it reality and i need my team around me to be able to do that and that's one thing i would tell you that glenn did very well and i would absolutely advise people to look at it's a team no matter if they're your employees, you're paying them, or you're creating a team of professionals that you use as mentors, whatever you do, you are going to be much um, have a much better opportunity to be successful if you seek that team out and take their advice. Um, and that's what I feel he did really well. I want to ask RJ and then Matt, you know, what was it about? Was it his charisma that said, I'm going to take a chance on this mm-hmm. guy? Yeah. Yeah, I would I would say it was you know the charisma, the determination. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you see him having focus? Yeah, yeah. At first, I think the first couple of weeks, we, I, me personally, because I didn't know everything else that was going on. He was reaching out to everyone else. Still, you know, I didn't know where we were going with what. I look at him as an employee for me, and hey, I can give you some advice, and and if if you want me to help, I'll do what I can. Um, and that's where the craft brewery thing came up. And I, I actually didn't know that until you actually saw on the show when we met up. Wow. And he yeah. said, yeah, I'm thinking craft beer. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, okay, let's go with it. And, um, but it more so was him just not being scared to fail. Um, and, uh, I talk about that in a couple of different interviews and I think on a TV show a little bit where it kind of brought me back to 
the way I used to be. Your fearlessness. Ago. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that helped me through some stuff this year as well. And, wow. uh, um, definitely that I saw not realizing again, you know, Glenn Stearns, when I knew him as Glenn Bryan, I'm like, Oh, I kind of see myself in him, you know, as 55 years old and, and thinking that like, Oh, you know, I remember when I used to be like that Yeah, and not realizing that, you know, Matt, what drew you to Glenn? Matt, do we lose you? Nope. Matt, are you there, buddy? Might have lost Matt. <laughs> Might have lost Matt. I might might want to. Uh... Matt, are you there? Just one Hello, more. Can you oh, there you there you are. Okay. Hey, what drew what drew? Sorry about that. No problem. What drew you to Glenn? Uh, really, it was. Uh, he looked you right in the eye when he talked about it. He had a passion when he talked about what his ideas were. And his body language was just all genuine. And uh, and then as you got to know him, he would never say, um, you know, this is going to turn me a profit. It was never me, me. It was always about the team. And it was it was just somebody I wanted to, you know, he, he naturally draws you in, I guess is one way to, to say that. And when he's got that vision, it's so clear in his mind, it just kind of sweeps you up and pulls you along with him. You know, I mean, because, again, there's not a lot of folks that are willing to, you know, to work for free. I, you know, my friend Chris Norris was on 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 Friday, you know, and, uh, you, you know, Chris is a, a very well regarded <laughs> social media expert and and somehow. Y- y- y'all were willing to work for something that was bigger than yourselves. You know, you could see the vision. Mm-hmm. That's entrepreneurs. I mean, truly, these are their characteristics, certainly. Go ahead, Matt. Yeah. Yeah. And there there was definitely a time where it's like, well, you know, I don't I don't know what's going to come of this, but all the right things are there. I mean, everything felt right. And even though we, we were busting our butts for, for 90 days and, uh, a lot of us, not until the very end, did we know that there was actually a, a time constraint on it. It was just always get it done, get it done. Uh, for me, it was exciting. Uh, I've known a lot of, I known of people, like I knew of RJ, saw him in the gym, but I never actually met met him before. And so, when we started working together, it it just magnified the excitement. It's that entrepreneurial spirit of you know, let's just go see what we can do. You know, the the um. And again, I I think some people are getting hung up on you know the the the, the reality show part of it, and as opposed to understanding what he is trying to accomplish, right? Yeah. Um, but the the uh, I just I just find it interesting, you know, uh, you know the the show part of it is he went into a retail. You know, which is one of the hardest things you can do yes. vis-a-vis like a, a business to business kind of uh, situation here. I mean, he could have built any kind of business, you know, but he builds a, a business to consumer business, which is really tough. Absolutely. And I, you know, RJ and I were just speaking briefly about, you know, some of the challenges, you know, certainly that that come with that and what choices and how, you know, those um, challenges that come with it. And they don't show everything in the show. And that's the other thing we were talking about. So there were a lot of other conversations that happened that weren't in the show. And we had a very long conversation about restaurants, you know, and the challenges. A lot of people think restaurants are very lucrative and very profitable, but they are one of the lowest profitable industries out there. Um, The cost People don't want to, consumers 
um, have a threshold, right? Of what yeah. they're going to spend. And so you have to be able to meet the demand of your customers, still be able to make money, still be able to pay all your expenses. And we like our food, but we don't want to pay a whole lot of money for it. Right? Especially in Erie PA. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, I was just at a conference and, you know, it, it, there it's $5 for a cup of coffee, just a regular cup of That's not our specialty coffee. <laughs> and I just was thinking this. I'm like, this would never fly, you know, in Western <laughs> Pennsylvania. But that's why knowing your audience, but also it's what are you selling? The quality. Who are you reaching? Underdog Barbecue isn't for everyone. Mm-hmm. It is for the people that want that atmosphere, are attracted to that environment love your craft beer that's going to cost you seven bucks and you're okay with that because you appreciate it and the barbecue is something you don't get every day and so the value is where you are comfortable with customers or customers are comfortable with and he's not it's not going to be just people in Erie going to underdog barbecue especially now and again, so so again, talking about the reality show part of this, yeah. it's a plus and a minus. The plus is is that uh, like like with what you're talking about, RJ, that you have now this line of uh, of a national brand of what rubs and sauces, sauces right? Shirts, clothing, everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, now there's this thing that would never exist for any you know mom pop shop here in Erie, PA. Yeah, yeah it it's definitely has its pros and cons. I mean. You know, just being in the restaurant business or T-shirt business alone is difficult. You know, like you were starting to talk about, you know, 10 people that come to the restaurant are all going to have 10 different opinions about the same exact food. You're not going to make everyone happy. Just not going to happen. Those people that you don't make happy, guess what? They want discounts. They want refunds. They're not going to leave there feeling like they were taken advantage of because they didn't like their food. When that person sitting right next to them tried the same food and loved it. Right. All right. So now not only that. Let's take that from Erie and the way Erie is. I love my city, but let's just say the way Erie is. way Erie is. Put it on a national level. Magnify by 100. So now, you know, over the last couple of weeks, I've been shipping hundreds of orders of sauces and apparel all over the world. Belgium, all over the world. Incredible. Um, and now we've got those customers that, okay, well, how do we please everyone else outside of Erie now? What if this person out in California doesn't like our sauces? Do we just say, you're SOL? Or do we say, all right, you know. Yeah, give you, you know, you know what I mean? It's it's, right. And I think the last two or three times I've been in a restaurant, at least a dozen or so people, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, um, out in Ohio, you know, Meadville, driving in an area just to come to the restaurant right now. Now, would you recommend, Maggie, to them that they are segmenting out their target uh, markets? I mean, I mean, should they be tracking some of this stuff so they can kind of lean into their strengths? Absolutely. And I do believe that's what they're doing because we did talk a lot about that is because you're not for everybody. You know, this is not something that everyone wants to do. Not everybody likes barbecue to begin with, just, you know, period. But sticking true to what you want to do is the biggest thing that's going to help you. Because if then if you try to please everyone, you're not going to you're going to go under mm-hmm. because yeah. you're going to have the costs and, uh, you know, everything to go with it. And that's why a lot of the restaurants who um, have that huge menu because they're trying uh, to uh, please everyone will never be profitable and not able to ramp up and to really, um, you know, leverage what they have. Have elsewhere because it's not the you're you're just trying too much right. you have to focus and going so, back going back to the analytics um, yeah. you're absolutely right Maggie we're diving super deep into yeah. that 
the, the uh, point of sale system that we have uh, allows us to look at um, by time, by meal, by demographic, Perfect. all kinds of great stuff. And what we're doing is we're really um, trying to model that out because we have just been on a growth uh, growth spurt the entire time and uh, trying to get to the goals that we've made for ourselves and we're already blowing through them. So we have to make sure that we can continue to grow in the kitchen and have the space and the merchandise to be able to keep getting that out. And to be honest, we've had a couple of, of hard days where we, we didn't have enough food, but um, what we're doing is we're learning from all that. And, and uh, But the analytics mean so much. So making sure that you can capture that. I know RJ, uh, we've been in the gym and he'll come over and say, hey, look, this is the number of people that are on the website right now. Uh -huh. And so we're, we're working with Chris Norris on how to really make sure that we're turning those into at least uh, some capturable information that we can then remain in contact with them, even if they're not buying. So we're trying to leverage all those different aspects of it. And again, it all started at the SBDC. Let, let's t again, transferable uh, tip here. Um, I, I think a lot of people want to gut these things out. RJ, you did a little gutting out in, in the beginning. Um, how, you know, what would you suggest about big data for even a small uh, startup like that? It's so accessible now with the technology that we have now and everybody using various means of technology, going on Facebook, going to your website, all of those background um, technology opportunities that a company has to track, just like Matt just said, you have to do that because, you know, think 30 years ago, and I've been doing this a really long time, you know, 35 mm -hmm. years I've been doing different things in business. 30 years ago, you could only track how many people brought the coupon in from the paper, right? <laughs> yeah. And then we went, okay, hopefully more people saw it, but not everybody brought it in. Now this information is at your fingertips, but there is, you have to know how to analyze it. You can, information, data is not useful until it's analyzed and focused to what you want to use it for. So understanding, you know, right now, this is this growth stage, very beginning stage. We're trying to figure out who our true customer is so that we can put together a marketing plan to focus on that demographic and know how to build that demographic out um, in other areas. And I'm thinking that's exactly what you guys are doing well, right now. I mean, you're seeing it in, in the well-established business. That's you right. think about how Waldemere knows exactly their, their hot oh, yeah. zips. Oh, yes. You know, and, yep. and, 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 you know, the, and so the, the season passes are the sweet spot for Erie. You know, you know, yep. for the cost of two visits, two and a half visits, you get a, you get a season pass. I mean, I've always thought they were brilliant on how yeah. they yeah. knew how to market to Erie. Um, but again, ev at any part of the scale, if they're not looking at their data, looking at their responses, looking at the, even the even the verbatims, you know, what are people saying about our establishment? Oh, absolutely. And you have to understand that, especially if you've been in business for a while, your demographics change um, because the people that worked with you 10 years ago and where they were in their life cycle. Right. You know, and why they were attracted to you and your products and your services are very different now 10 years. So you have to be reevaluating your customers at all times so you know that you're marketing the way that you need to to reach them. Um, people nowadays, especially if you're going for the 18 to 25, which I'm sure a lot of your shirts and things, you know, that's a lot of mm -hmm. the um, cool designs and things that you have. Ten years from now, they aren't they're in a different lifestyle. They're married. They have mm -hmm. children. Yeah. So they may not be uh, as attractive. And who's these 
people that are the market and where are they now? Where do I get my message to? So you have it all at your fingertips. It's available through the back end of your website, Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram, you know, all of those uh, social media have uh, on the business side of it, those uh, that information and those analytical tools. And you'd be crazy not to be using them because you often think your market is one thing and you might be very surprised at certain you know, women in their 40s, yeah. and you thought your focus was men in their 30s. You know, wait a minute. Yeah. Uh, so let's but figure it, that let's out. Figure it out. Mm-hmm. RJ, I want to ask you, take a minute and talk about, again, early on, early stage, uh, I started seeing Iron Empire uh, being worn by my friends, by my family yeah. members. Uh, my brother is Alan Itali. So uh, Alan and Suzanne, really early adopters of your stuff. Yeah. And you had that kind of that cool mix of – of people that were in the fitness world yep. and also super eerie lovers. Can you talk about, you know, how did you take advantage? I mean, uh, that's what seemed to That's grow. what did it, yeah. So when, when we first started, I had no vision of what the brand would actually be. We came up with Iron Empire clothing, came up with two or three designs and put them out there and then started feeling around, okay, who what's going to sell? And um, it wasn't until I think we did a shirt that we still put out to this day with a, a big saying on the back at the bottom, it says live different. It's something that I came up with and I wrote one day while I was still working for the city and we just couldn't keep it in stock. And I'm like, we're onto something. So then I put out another shirt on the back of that. We put a saying that said it started with nothing, stop for nothing. Couldn't keep that in stock. I'm like, then I did a shirt with just our logo and it did all right. I'm like, okay, you know, the sayings, that stuff that people can relate to the, the motivational stuff. And some of it could relate to fitness, you know, your fitness, right. you know, goals and journey and stuff like that um my background jamie's old background with fitness and competing in different stuff are you know i've always was involved in fitness or some kind of athletic sport and and i think that people who knew me were like oh that's a fitness brand so i kind of went yeah you know it can be fitness inspired but then when i realized i was selling to you know kids in grade school and then then you know parents grandparents you know i just said i i, I flipped the script i'm like lifestyle brand i don't care who you yeah. are i don't care if you're a hamburger flipper at mcdonald's i don't care if you own a business i don't care what you are um we have something for you you want something small and little on your shirt that says iron empire we have it if you want something that is a you know strictly a fitness tank top we have mm-hmm. that you don't wear it anywhere but the gym or you want just your regular lifestyle shirt that you want to wear going to the mall or going out to dinner with friends we have that too and it, but it, there was another overlay for eerie folks. It seemed like yep. they so wanted we, the eerie apparel, eerie brand kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. Yep. And and um, you know, at the same time, you know, big shot to eerie apparel that they they cover that market very well. Yeah. And so there was a few times in the beginning where we we didn't have that eerie niche, but you know, we put eerie on a couple shirts. But more more so about what the designs were. It's about about what the brand was. Um, right. Our community involvement, volunteering, mm-hmm. donating, you know, money and time, um, being involved with the community, going to events, you know, showing face, speaking to kids, all that stuff made everyone kind of come together and say, all right, you know, this Iron Empire brand is it's eerie, you yeah. know, no matter yeah. where it goes from here on out. And, um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, we'll always be that way. One more break here and we'll come back and we're going to uh, talk to Matt about. You know, how does how does uh, I, uh, Undercover uh, the Underdog Barbecue, the Undercover Billionaire Business? 
Matt, how do you how do you capture raving fans in Erie? You, you, we've been talking about how Erie is, uh, you know, finicky sometimes. Has definitely has price sensitivity. Uh, what are some of the strategies for moving underdog barbecue forward? You know, for me, the the easiest thing is just to have a conversation, uh, shake their hand, say, "Hey, I'm Matt, and what can I tell you about the show?" Or what what kind of questions do you have? And I've watched uh, people that have had negative comments turn into, "Wow, these people are actually really nice." And I know the other the other other excuse me the other underdogs are doing the exact same thing. I mean, mm-hmm. um, you know, RJ is always out there, but um, doing that sort of thing turns flips the script again. Uh, that we'll say. But then also when they come to the restaurant and they find out that the culture for the employees at the restaurant is to not say, come back here every single night, but to say, hey, you know what? There is another barbecue place in town. Um, it's called Federal Hill. It's over here. Go have a go have a, a bite. Compare us. We've, we think our barbecue is great, but we also think theirs is too. And when people get see that, the the eerie thing that we're saying but not saying just falls right away. And everybody goes, wow, that's really cool. And what we're doing is we've got 24 taps in the in the bar, and 21 of those are all local brands. Yeah. And we're constantly telling people, hey, there's a brewery over here. Go check that out. If you like this beer, they've got a whole bunch more. Um, or if we're talking to the folks that come into town, that we're right at the mouth of Presque Isle there. So we've got a lot of visitors from out of town, and so we're – constantly telling them other local places to go to try and keep that money local and to, and to try and get those people to, to get a flavor for Erie. And then when the Erieites come in, again, when you just interact with them and, and show them, hey, it's not all you know bad, it's, it's been a really, really positive experience to me. And I've never seen anybody walk away grumpy after having a, a positive interaction. And almost every interaction has been positive. We're going to have to leave it there. Thank you guys so much. Uh, Maggie Horn, the director of the Gannon Small Business Development Center. RJ Messenger, uh, owner of Iron Empire Clothing and very involved in underdog barbecue. Matt Sanders uh, running the store. Both you guys are really running the store out there. Um, keep it going, huh? 